a Highline podcast. We live in a complicated and fascinating world that invites us to dive deep into its intricacies. Exploring the ideas and events that excite, intrigue, irritate, and confound us is how we graduate our knowledge beyond meme culture. Join us over a cocktail as we expand our understanding and share in the beauty we find along the way. I'm Stephen Torna. I'm Kat Dwyer. And I'm Stephen Henning. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench. Welcome back to the Whiskey Bench. <laughs> it's me, Stephen Henning. Yeah, it's Steve. We're joined tonight by Stephen Henning. 2.0. <laughs> me with my Lagavulin Scotch whiskey and my somewhat arbitrary idyllic views on politics and <laughs> and economics and religion just kidding jk y'all been fooled you fools this week i uh so uh, i'm obviously not steven and i'm not going to take over but i do think that since we are all fans of gin and that is our drink this evening that we are not the whiskey bench tonight we are the gin couch. Ooh, the gin couch? Yep, okay. I like it. I like it a lot. Welcome to the gin couch. Welcome Here to we the gin are. couch with guest host Alex Falcon Grove. That's me. Yeah. That's uh, Alex. I That's also Alex. host uh, the In2 podcast that's also part of the Highline Network along with my two parents. They are co-hosts, my wife and my best friend, Kevin. So I get to cover for Steven today. Which is super exciting. Also, uh, aside, I don't know if Kevin listens, but um, thank you for helping with the audio issues we've been having. You are so welcome. On behalf of Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, cheers to Kevin. He does. You'll he's... enjoy the teaser that he makes for you guys the next time oh. we uh, have Whiskey Bench. He, he intros and says you're his favorite show on Highline, by the way. Oh, what? So take oh. that. Yeah, he plays favorites. <laughs> I'm blushing, Kevin. I, yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. We're little that whiskey babies. Oh, whiskey baby. Yes. So it did stick, just so everyone knows. Whiskey baby stuck. <laughs> I mean, I'm making Alex, it stick. Yeah. It was a happy accident. Yeah, Alex it <laughs> might be our only whiskey baby, but we're looking to adopt more. So join us. Yeah. As far as happy accidents go, I think a whiskey baby, you know, is exactly that. So I'll take that as a compliment. Man, that's spot on. That is true. I didn't think about that. (laughs) So yeah, we're doing things a little bit different. Mr. Henning is out. I think his family is in town. Yeah. I was just going to ask, where is he again? I I think his parents (laughs) are in town. So he's, he's enjoying that special time with his family. Good. Um, So we're going to hang out this evening with Alex and have a nice little conversation about regulation oh but before we dive into that we gotta we gotta we gotta learn a little bit about alex because i'm not sure how much crossover we have between highline shows and this right now so certainly alex do you want to you want to take it away for just like a couple minutes i sure can um i know that i have already you know recommended the gin couch i do want to recommend one other uh, not a renaming, but potentially a long-standing ritual. 
So this is a guest spot, you could say, right? I'm a guest on your show. It's a guest spot. Yes. Yeah. I would like to recommend us doing a guest shot right before we actually get into a tasty cocktail drink. Okay. Ooh. You don't have Do to. I need to go? Do I need to go get a bottle of gin? Or whatever you want to shoot. What do you want to shoot? That's fun. I'm shooting vodka because it's cheap. I'll shoot whatever you want. I do love gin, but you shouldn't really shoot gin. Nah, especially if it's want. nice. All right, I'll shoot gin. Pick, pick your worst it's bottom shelf liquor. All right, I'll be back. Ha ha. <laughs> yes. Liquor. Alex, goddamn, you're creative. I love it. You're welcome. <laughs> I was like, all right, if I'm going to be nervous, stuff. I need them. I need us all to chill out. So yeah, not only will I a have move. a cocktail, I'm going to make you guys drink with me. I like it. And I and don't this think is the you, first time. Yeah, you haven't done shots before. We'll, um, yes. <laughs> we're having homemade. Is that even a question? Hair infused gin. <laughs> Could you hear it? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's great. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll probably edit this out. Oh but how no! How was your day, Alex? This is staying in. I had a great day. Okay, good. I uh, <laughs> I mean, part of this is my introduction, but I can be redundant. Um, currently I get to work from home two out of the three days or two out of the five days a week. Uh, so that was today. So it's mainly doing like paperwork and estimates and calling people. So, but it was an easy day. You know, you get to take a break and you're like, Hey, I'm going to mow the lawn because it's noon and go make myself lunch and walk the dogs. We all mowed the lawn today. Oh, so good. Look at that. (laughs) Who picks Thursday to mow the lawn? Well, I had to mow the lawn because I don't have a lawn mower, uh, and I've had I've kidnapped or hijacked Tornas. Nice. And then he texted me today saying he needed it back, and so I was like, "Fuck! I gotta <laughs> mow my lawn again." So I ran home from work early and like banged out a quick lawn mow. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. And and uh, <laughs> I failed to mow the lawn, but my roommate mowed the front of the house, and and I'll do the back tomorrow okay yeah kind of like a mullet yeah <laughs> <laughs> styling the it's lawn a party in that backyard. nice <laughs> yeah and then when we get tired of the mullet we gotta trim the back and that'll be tomorrow mm. fair good plan all right well i just totally derailed that uh, with no, that's, mullets that's but, perfect uh, I mean, now do we... We got uh, ourselves some tasty drinks in our hand. I brought this, uh, but I think one of you two could toast us. If not, I can go into a small drinking song. Uh, I think, I think the that's drinking the better song. Yeah. It's not a real drinking song. I will say, again, another pitch for in two is my wife taught me this, and I was in fraternities throughout college and went to college at CU Boulder, so I definitely had a fun time. But I've never heard this until I met my wife. So we like to drink with Highline because Highline are our baits. We like to drink with Highline. They get it down in eight, seven, six, five, oh. four, ah. three, <laughs> two, one. There you go. It works a lot better with a full drink. A shot is pretty easy to take that was in so good. eight seconds. <laughs> Oh, you do that to a full drink. I like it. <laughs> oh, oh, we had eight seconds. I waited till one and then did it all at once. No, you had eight seconds. Yeah, you're like, wait, this is a shot. I don't need this much time. You're right. You have multiple shots. Wow. There you go. Uh, 
Torna just gave us homemade pear infused gin. Yeah. And that, my friend, it's tasty. It's like really good. My yeah. mother made it. It was a Christmas gift oh, for me. Beautiful. So pears and I'm I'm guessing she put other stuff in there. Cinnamon. Yeah, the glass cardamom. Fantastic. Wow. That's tasty. That's medicine. Mm, good for the bones. <laughs> I fully believe gin is like gin builds strong bones. It's not bad for you. Yeah. I don't feel guilty when I when I drink drink gin. When I indulge. Well now good for your spirit, good for your mind, probably good for your heart. Okay, well already we've we've <laughs> taken a shot and sang a song. So you're kinda killing it tonight. Buckle Count up. In hat. Everyone. I like it. Uh this is uh I like to think that that's my skill set. And this ties into like how I am professionally. So my name is Alex Falcongrove. Uh, I live near Denver, Colorado with my wife and I am the host of the Into podcast along with the people that I mentioned. Professionally, I am the chief operating officer of Tylee Roofing, which is a roofing contractor based out of Denver. I went to school for mechanical engineering and I went to CU Boulder and there's other fun stuff in there that I'm proud of, and you're letting me, you know, tell you about myself and brag a little bit. A fun thing that I did my junior senior year was be the IFC president of all of the fraternities in Boulder. So IFC stands for Interfraternity Council. So if you guys know anything about Boulder, it's that there's a chain smokers song that references it. So of course it's gotta be a pretty crazy place. Uh so I got to be like the main guy in charge of all of those fraternities, which is crazy. That's a hell of a, oh yeah, hell of a job. No, my accomplishment. <laughs> people would ask me, and I'm like, I'm just glad no one died while I was president. Like that, yeah. honestly, is a win. You know, uh, totally. And like that was a good turn. That's a half joke, yeah. you know, because you're like, no, but honest to God, like I, th- as soon as I got elected, I was like, I sure hope no one dies. And by the end, we were fine. So that was a really fun experience. Uh, learned a lot and. The best part about that is that entire time, so for most of my days in college, I was in the Christian fraternity called Alpha Gamma Omega, and how the Christian fraternity gets in charge of all of the other fraternities, um, <laughs> that is a stroke of luck, <laughs> which I think is a lot of my story, is like luck favors the prepared, and I just happened to be prepared and take a risk, and that's also how I got the job that I have. Um, so yeah, and religiously, I grew up Christian and have since, you know, deconstructed, as everyone says. Uh, so that's where I'm at now. If you want to know even more, you can listen to my No Normal People episode that we have all been on. So Mm -hmm. other than that, I mean, I'm happily married. I have two dogs and, uh, oh, this is a fun aside. So do you remember when Henning brought up in the uh, in the energy episode? Well, what if hypothetically, what if someone were to drive an electric car and also have solar panels? Would it then make sense? Mm-hmm. Right. That's not a hypothetical. That's me. <laughs> okay. and, that, and that's something that Good I brought up to him because I was just like, oh, it actually makes sense for me. So like you can bring that up. And Kat, I really appreciated your answer. Because it was like, I mean, yeah, like financially, if that makes sense, then do it. But understand that that's probably not what everyone gets to do. So. Right, right, right. That's uh, awesome. So you got cool, solar, cool. solar panels in your house. Do you run like a, a battery of some sort? You run like a Tesla battery? Or? No, it goes straight to the grid. Straight. Which, gotcha. oh my God, 
how in Montana everyone needs to be rallying around that you guys should be able to sell your power back to the yeah yeah so, I know so can you do that yes, in Colorado yes that is yeah insane. it's absurd out here mm. it's Northwestern I got a bit of a beef with Northwestern Energy yeah they don't does our utilities and they don't give you a great price right so it's like okay the whole oh, point sure. is just avoid paying the utility that's the main point of solar but if you're mm-hmm. overproducing they'll give you I would probably say like close to 10 cents on the dollar, which is like, well, yeah, that's totally, you're getting ripped off, but beats zero. Yeah, but totally beats zero. Yeah, it does. Sweet. And you're rocking an electric car yeah. or an SUV. Yep. What are you, I, what are you jamming? I'm, I'm a, so yeah, I have a Tesla and the, and you can just plug into your normal power grid because it can that's run sweet. off of 120 and you don't have to use 240. But most of the time I charge it at work anyway. So that's really cool. So you. It works fine with with going to job sites and everything like that in your Tesla. And that's, <laughs> I don't have to go to job sites. Oh, well, heck yeah. Yeah, that's all. That's I, I'm a commuter sweet. office boy. Operations. Still, means that's sweet. I, I'm more <laughs> of the brain than the hands. Well, yeah, but you all probably just send people out to go inspect and check stuff. Yeah. And I mean, thankfully, we have great staff so that, like, I don't have to go out. I'm able to trust them. Torna gets to be both that? brain and hands. <laughs> yeah. Unfair. Oh, yes. <laughs> both hands smart on. and strong. There you go. Yeah, heck yeah. I, uh, believe it or not, am trying to branch into the roofing world a little bit. Ooh. So... Not to be a roofer, I don't want to be on a roof ever or install a roof, but to you want to be like a GC some, subcontract. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Subcontract out, get roof contracts for a a, a company that I've um, kind of joined forces with. So it's slow going. I don't know anything about roofs, so I'm slowly trying to learn about them. Hey, you ask me, I will probably know. This is great. I'm interested in new construction and uh, commercial specifically. Oh, so yeah. I've been deep diving into TPO and uh, EPDM, so mm-hmm. that's kind of been my little research project that's, right now. That's mostly as far as it goes. I mean, no one really yeah, uses PVC <laughs> or ballasted stuff anymore, so. No, exactly. That's the way to do it. Flat roofs are the future. That's that's what I think. I think all like residential yeah. homes could probably try to be a flat roof, and everyone would probably benefit. They're a little more yeah, expensive, yeah. but oh well. It, well, you know, I don't want to bore the listeners, but <laughs> um, it's cheaper than metal right now, and people oh, use God. a lot of metal in Montana. Yeah. <laughs> no, your metal roof. It's like 30% less than metal, so. Metal is going to last, like, pretty much forever, as long as you have That's a true. good panel and a good installer, <laughs> and it looks really nice. Like, that is by far. If someone were to ask me, like, what's your favorite roofing system? Because I work in that industry, and that's a question that gets asked, <laughs> which sounds so boring. And I'm like, God, that's so adult. What's your favorite roofing system? But it's metal. I'm, I'm into, into it. it. <laughs> God, just talk about roofing all night, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> well, we will get there, being the, the topic is regulation, because yeah, construction yeah. is highly dictated by what state and federal regulations are. It's true. But... Before we even get into business, I have some compliments to pay to oh, both of you. Okay. So, all right, Torna, you first. Uh, okay. Since I've been listening since the beginning, I wanted to just sing some praises. I think you 
are very fair to everyone and it's very clear that your biggest goal is that like you genuinely love people i think you're really good at like loving your neighbor like you've said several times like i just want everyone to benefit and i think that that's you communicate that very well okay good that means a lot yeah and cat i disagree with (laughs) i disagree with you the most but you are you are so smart and articulate and even on the last episode being like hey i got some facts and figures wrong i was like oh my god i respect the hell out of you and (laughs) good i can't say that i was proud to like live in the u.s for probably like the last two years at least you know just with everything going on it was like god do we have our shit together when you guys talked about uh Locke and rousseau and you went on all that cat you had like a beautiful 10 minute monologue on how the founding fathers and everyone was like hey maybe we have these economic ideas and maybe they'll work and they like actually risked their lives and their livelihood and everything they had to go experiment in america and at the end of that i was like oh my god she's so right like america is so cool and i am proud to live (laughs) here so thank you for that gift Oh, that's that's lovely. Thank you. That's very lovely. <laughs> that glad. makes me very happy. Again, with me wanting to like see the best, like I want people that live here in the United States to love the United States. Yeah. You don't have to worship at its feet and you shouldn't, but you shouldn't. <laughs> like you should love where you live and, you know, take pride in where you're from. Want to see it, want to see it get yeah. better and better. <clears throat> so that's exciting. I really like to hear that. Yeah. There you go. All right, now we have a unique occurrence happening. We do. This is like a oh. solar eclipse. It's not every day. All three hosts tonight are drinking the same Bev. Yes. Literally has never happened on the whiskey bench before. There but was it's, a- ha- it's happening on the gin couch. Gin That's couch. <laughs> and we can celebrate this. Yes. So tonight, for this special episode we're drinking a martini variation called the hanky panky mm-hmm. do tell so last week uh, after we recorded we hopped in discord with alex to just kind of chat briefly and figure out oh what are we going to do next week and alex specifically said hey let me know what we're going to drink I, w- I would like it to be gin but I want to make sure that I have the same cocktail as you. Amazing. And I think I was just shooting some ideas out there and the hanky panky stuck. So we are drinking a beautiful martini variation, which is one and a half ounces of dry gin, one and a half ounces of a sweet vermouth. I'm drinking a, or I'm using for vermouth, a vermouth from a distillery called Ransom. I think it's in Oregon. Might be, it's either Oregon or, or Colorado, but I think it's Oregon because they'd be able to get the grapes there. And then either some bitters or Fernet Branca splashed in at the end. And uh, motorcycle go burr burr. Um, <laughs> I don't know if anyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was noisy. Anyway, yeah. So it's a, it's a very nice cocktail. It's got all sorts of complex flavors. You add that Fernet Branca in there and you get myrrh and. and evergreen and a little bit of some like uh mint or menthol flavors how important is the fernet branca 
Like, could we just use any <laughs> bitters? Um, I've seen variations where you can put like some aromatic bitters. Fernet Branca, I think, is kind of the purest um, form. That's actually how it was originally um, made back in 1925. But you know, not everyone's got Fernet. It's kind of a specialty thing. And not everyone likes Fernet. And when you buy a bottle of Fernet, you have a bottle of Fernet. Mm, right. There's a lot in there if you don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this was invented in, what did you just say? 1925? 1925. All right. Good year. By a uh, bartender, Ada Coley, in the Savoy Hotel in London, mm. which is pretty cool. She started bartending there in 1903. And I think she's the only woman to ever be the head bartender of that bar. Oh, wow. Um, in 1903. Good so she's her. kind of a badass. Damn. Um, and apparently the, the story goes that some famous uh, actor, uh, Sir Charles Hawtrey, came in and um, loved his drinks or loved her drinks and then um, kind of was like, oh, I want something a little extra strong tonight. And she had been developing this drink specifically um, in her free time. You know, part of her duty is being a bartender or the head bartender of the bar. Um, whipped up this drink, which didn't have a name yet, and handed it to him. And uh, after taking a sip, he said, By Jove! <laughs> that is the real hanky-panky. Are you serious? So rumor has it. Oh. Yeah, dead serious. That's, that's By the- Jove! <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I still don't so, know what hanky-panky is supposed to mean. Uh, it meant like, um, maybe like a little bit naughty or... Uh, Bees um, knees, but sexy. Yeah, probably so. And that was like an old, I think 1880 was when that word like was in circulation. And then it sort of became a pseudonym for. Uh, for and then it became like, dirty. you know, like whoopee, oh, right. sexy time. Um, <laughs> hey, this, hanky, is a, this is a family show. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if it is. <laughs> no, it's not a family show. <laughs> I, would, I wish it was, but we've, that ship sailed. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll start our uh, new episode. Or a new a new podcast for family, something bench. I won't be a part of it. There won't be al- there won't be alcohol involved. I guess. Now Alex has a he has what do we want to call it? Just a panky. Yeah. yeah. Or just a hanky. Either one. I don't want a hanky. Just a panky. Yeah. Just a panky. A panky. <laughs> Which again, who knows what a panky is? But yeah. Um. So you know, since bitters from the expert cocktail maker himself he said the bitters weren't that important uh my drink does not have any uh fancy <laughs> fernet blanca what did we call it i already forgot uh fernet bronca bronca yeah no mine is uh vermouth and gin and some clementine peel it's great it's a sweet <laughs> sweet gin martini yeah he sent us a picture on uh discord oh Take a look. How'd I do? Take a look. We're <laughs> clicking around. Rate it. We're almost there. It didn't show up. It's on my end. Oh, it's in Highline. Right. Oh. oh. Highline Whiskey right. Bench. Is it? Yeah. Oh. Oh, oh heck yeah. Also, yeah. I love your glass. He's got a glass with the, the fancy F on oh, it. Oh, thank you. Was that like a uh, wedding gift? A uh, birthday present from my sister. Birthday present. On my 21st. Nice. Oh, she gave. I have a decanter with an F on it too, that I keep gin in. Uh, Oh, Mm. oh, so you're like you're a real. You really are like gin. I mean, look, the gin comes in a different bottle, and I just put it in the decanter because it's fancy. 
But you like gin enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that is the liquor that I choose, of course. <laughs> yes, yes. Do we just go into it now? I think we go into it because I know for a fact that at some point I want to, I don't know if it's on a, what I don't know what it's going to be, but I just want to sit down and talk like maybe pop culture and video games with you or something. Oh, fun. Yeah. Because I never responded but to the- your Twitter thread, but please know that I loved it <laughs> so much. You are both the best and worst kind of League of Legends player. Oh, oh, from way and back. And I yeah, love yeah. you so, and I hate you. Where you're like, yeah, I play all the yeah, troll so, champs. So we got we to gotta nerd out about this a little bit oh, at some yeah. point. But. but for now, oh, oh, here's the transition. Okay. You know what else might have been a great drink tonight would be uh, a white Russian made with raw milk. Raw milk. I was thinking earlier when I was saying, like, gin makes your bones strong. I was like, you know what else makes your bones strong? <laughs> Fucking raw milk. Raw milk. Raw milk, allegedly. Uh, well, uh, I think that is a, a good as any place to start. I think it's at least a fun place so. to start. Mm-hmm. So, we'll, we'll talk into, like, all kinds of regulation, but at least for, like, the hypothetical thought experiment, and not even hypothetical, it's actually happening, but what... Yeah. What do you both know about raw milk and the legislation that surrounds it? And do you have opinions on it? We're going to take a quick break, then we'll be back to our conversation. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts. There you can leave us a five-star rating and a one or two sentence review to help others find the show. Thank you to Reagan James for the use of our theme music, The Habit, off her album, Message. Find her work on Spotify and Apple Music. And thanks to Highline Media Network for having us as a founding podcast. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, The N2 Podcast. We can only view it like through the context, like of what we were raised in, the religion that we were handed, and trying to make sense of it all. But basically, the only thing that's originally Kevin right now is his brain. Is he a human or a robot? Is he Kevin or not Kevin? Every time we have certain conversations, I immediately know that I feel, but not why I feel. Mm -hmm. And now, back to our conversation. I do have opinions because I have in the past been a consumer of raw milk. Interesting enough. Yeah. Who hell are, who here has even had raw milk? Not me. <laughs> I think I have. Okay. My sister's into that. Oh, okay. Um, so I have had it. I haven't had it in years, but I remember growing up, like we knew people with cows that, you know, had, had their whole setup. So yeah, I do have opinions. I don't know a ton about it, but I know a little bit of probably outdated information concerning it. Like the last couple of years. Did it give you superpowers yeah. when you drank it? <laughs> Did you heal up uh, like no. Legend of Zelda? You know, let's not mock <laughs> the healing properties oh, of probiotics. Oh man, so, it's and real. that's and that's and that's that was going to be what I was going to say is yeah. how good it actually is. It is good for um, you. Yeah, but it yeah. If we want to dive in that, we can. But yeah, I know a little bit about the regulation. I know that in your state, Colorado, it is illegal to purchase raw milk. However, if you own a share of a cow, correct. You can have raw milk. <laughs> I think I think it's the same in my home state of California. Okay. Yeah. And yep. then what is Montana? I, I think it's like half like of the legal, states. Legal to possess and sell? 
I, yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's legal to sell. It might be having to have a share as well. I suppose I'll just say as a disclaimer, I don't, I see the benefits right. of drinking raw milk, the probiotic, like gut healing benefits mm-hmm. and strengthening your immune system. Like that's not witchcraft, that's real. And I also think that someone potentially being fined tens of thousands of dollars or even like facing jail time as could happen in California, at least for selling like a healthy mm-hmm. product is I, insane. To I me. actually think, though, in the majority of California, and this was what was interesting, considering how strict they are with regulations in general, mm-hmm. I actually think raw milk is not as big a deal. I'm pretty sure the largest raw milk producer, like for human consumption, not for being pasteurized and then turned into regular milk, like actual safe to drink raw milk, I think the largest producer is in California. I was reading today that, and this was this article is outdated okay. by a couple years, but that there was a push to to regulate raw milk in such a way that like the the microbiome count would be so low that it's mm. almost like not really raw milk anymore. Interesting. <laughs> so there might be a, a difference between like what it's marketed as and what it yeah. actually is. That seems like essential because oil of regulation. We're like, this is mainly just <laughs> yeah. water. You know, you're like, it's mainly uh, just exactly. normal milk. Depending on where you get your essential oils from. Okay. But, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. So aside from like the oh, benefits of raw milk or lack thereof, whatever the argument might be, just talking regulation, I know that the actual regulation of raw milk is not as strict as you might assume because right now all of the regulation in place is just saying that raw milk has to meet a certain very low um, quality standard because the assumption is that it's going to go be homogenized and pasteurized. Mm. And that's where the issue comes in with consumption because the standards are so low that you can't drink it safely raw, which is kind of disgusting how low the standards are. Cause they're like, we'll just boil the shit out of it mm. and then it's safe to drink. So that's one of the big issues I know with regulation is that it's, yeah, it's kind of gross. So I'm coming in here and this is mainly probably how I will react to most of our conversation around regulation where I say, uh-huh. Hey, it's probably for the best that we learned the pasteurization process and that people are no longer sick from mass producing milk and shipping it all over the place. Right. And on just a base level, which you guys might already disagree with of like, ah, eh, pasteurization, pasteurization overrated. Uh, so at least in that case, I'm like, I'm kind of glad that whenever I go drink milk from the grocery store, I know that I'm really, it's highly unlikely that I'm going to get sick from it because pasteurization mm-hmm. is mandated. And Although, I also, it's also highly unlikely that it's going to have any real health benefits. There we go. So right not only <laughs> that, but then I would say, oh, well, <laughs> then if we start to have health benefits and there is a safe way of having raw milk, because mm-hmm. I, I guess that's where things get complicated, right? Of there are pretty well studied health benefits to drinking raw milk. And 
there are pretty well-studied health risks to drinking raw milk of like, oh yeah, you can get a sure. bacterial infection because you're drinking something mm-hmm. that has bacteria Correct. in it, you know, whereas and pasteurization kills it all. a massive one that mm-hmm. that is a result of it. And that's part of it being that those standards for raw milk are not, uh, the regulations in place are not for, hey, this meets the raw milk standard, you can drink it. It just means, hey, this meets the raw milk standard, it's now good to go get pasteurized. Sure. So that's one of the problems. But, you know, just talking about regulation and, and people getting sick with raw milk, uh, I'm looking for the CDC information on whether or not this is accurate. But I saw some stats on actual CDC released information that since 1970, one person has died from consuming raw milk, like confirmed. And I think something like 4,500 people in the United States have reported being sick from it. Whereas with pasteurized, heavy regulated milk since 1970, it's like 40 something people have died confirmed and then something like 490,000 people have been sick Hmm. due to like expired stuff, like issues with that. Granted, a lot more people drink. I was going to say, like, normal sure, that's pasteurized a bit of milk. a skewed stat. But either way, the you, I saw, you're telling me that 40 people have died from normal pasteurized white milk is already insane to me. <laughs> right. And I was, I was like, OK, that's interesting. And the stat I saw, because apparently it's on the rise, like majorly so much that it's like hurting the milk industry. Something that, the claim was that like almost 10 percent of like milk consumers like are interested in or are consuming raw milk. That seemed nuts to me. I have not confirmed this. From like a philosophical standpoint, mm-hmm. and I think the stats you just shared sort of speak to the why of this mm-hmm. stance I have, but I just think people should be able to assess risk mm-hmm. on their own and determine what level of risk they're willing to accept and be free to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. And if they make a bad decision and they harm themselves, that's their freedom to do. Sure. You know? Uh, and I think that there are enough. I personally trust market forces. I think we have lots of examples of it mm-hmm. being very efficient that if there was a raw milk producer who consistently sold a product mm-hmm. that made people sick, people would stop buying it. That would create an incentive for them to either improve or stop. Yes. Now, here's an interesting thing. My tweet earlier, <clears throat> I tweeted... uh what did I what did I say? Uh, Hogwarts ain't got shit on the Raw Milk Institute. Yeah, which I still don't I didn't understand. Fully understand, but I liked yeah. it. The ra- <laughs> like the I like the energy. Milk? This no, no, boy's no. been drinking the raw ra- milk. <laughs> the yeah. Raw Milk Institute is a real institute in the United States. That is a oh. non-government affiliated organization that offers voluntary um, certification for raw milk producers. And they come in and they do a full inspection um, with all sorts of their standards for sanitary conditions, you know, a full list of like how the cows should be treated as far as, you know, fill in the blank and then how clean facilities should be. And and so a producer can voluntarily choose to pay to get this this stamp of approval. A private institution. It is a private institution. Cool. And uh, see, so there was an incentive there. There was an incentive there and they teach they say that the part of it is they have got education on how to produce safe to consume mm-hmm. milk. And then I was listening to some podcasts on this and part oh of God, that, you really don't. And the milk. reason why it's becoming more viable is now they've got rapid uh, <laughs> tests to determine bacteria levels and mm. what's in it. So within 10 hours they can 
determine if it's safe and turn it around. Exactly. Determine exactly whether or not it's safe for consumption. And so that's why a lot of these producers, this one lady, I think has like 500 cows and she's been doing it for like 20 years and no one's ever got sick from her raw milk. That being said, you can get, well, I should say horribly sick. Part of it is that with the sterilization of foods, like you're just not used to a lot of the, the microbiota that's in something mm-hmm. like raw milk. So there's a chance that you will have a slight reaction as you build up. Immunity that's also to like that. your body healing itself, which isn't always an easy process. Right. Exactly. Right? And yeah. then there's all the health stuff, apparently with allergies and eczema and all sorts of crazy stuff. And okay, well, yeah. But, but are you going to have the government like stop everybody from experiencing something? Cause a few people might like have an uncomfortable experience of realizing mm-hmm. they're, lactose intolerant like right but fuck off. one of the big things is like <laughs> so many people are lactose intolerant because of the regulation on milk and right because it's, so it's full of bleach and it's devoid of any real nutrients <laughs> and that i will say that was the one thing <laughs> it's true. on the on the website because when you tweeted that i was like what a milk institute like is he making stuff up and sure enough i'm like oh no there's a real website all of that like isn't necessarily proven right that's more of like an anecdote of okay that makes sense like it would make sense that with our pasteurization of milk that we would be making ourselves more susceptible to allergies eczema and lactose intolerance but that's like the only thing we haven't done actual studies that are like oh yeah no not that i not that i know of the only thing i do know about pasteurization is just we know for a fact that heating proteins above a certain temperature will denature them. And we know that heating milk to what if it's 165 for 17 seconds, or it's like 201 degrees for two seconds. That's like the standards completely denatures every protein that's in milk. So it's no longer really milk at that point. Like all the proteins are different. And then homogenization basically um, creates, well, gives it like a better texture, I think. So all the fat molecules are dispersed into the same sizes the problem with that is they become so small, and this has been studied, um, they become so small that they basically are absorbed in your intestines into your bloodstream. So then you can get high fat levels into your blood mm. from drinking super homogenized things. I was um, going to say, we have like, we've what we've done is created a product that's also in part subsidized. Yep. So it's cheaper mm-hmm. for consumers than it normally would be. It's devoid of real health benefits. Yep. And it's this like fatty thing that we put on top of like all other devoid fatty products like sugary cereals and none of it is good for the human body. We've kind of hurt our ability to eat real foods. But just talking about raw milk and the homogenization, because I just thought of this, like, I don't know what happened. Like when I drink milk or ice cream, like you get that weird like phlegmy you get a lot of like phlegm buildup in your throat. Sure. Most dairy products will do that to, yeah. you, to you though, right? Yeah, true. The big reason is, is, and this is again studied in the lab, when you are homog- or when you're denaturing these proteins, all the bacteria get split up into little pieces and you're having an immune response, which is usually a, mucal, a, a mucus response. Hmm. Your body sees all these little pieces of stuff that's broken up, all these proteins that it can't recognize and it latches onto them and then says, ooh, this is a foreign body. And it tries to and the expel most, it. Yeah, and it's usually a, a mucal kind of response. But that so if I'm eating like a ton of ice cream and drinking milk, you know, I'll be like, 
why am I like so phlegmy? Well, yeah, and your Western doctor will tell you like if you have a cold, avoid dairy. Yeah. for that very reason. Yeah, oh, but that won't happen with raw milk. I don't uh, know. Is that the case? Uh, apparently, I, I haven't had raw milk in forever, but I know when it's I the used homogenizing I, process. You're saying that I know when I used to drink raw milk forever ago, I never had any problems with hmm. that. Like back in the day. Hmm. Also, there's something just so kind of maybe it's just old. Maybe it's the traditionalist in me, but. Like you get your jar of milk and you get to like skim off the cream layer on the top. Oh, yeah. And then like put it in a separate jar for your coffee and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, utilize that for something There's else. There's like a nice yeah. charming novelty to it or something. I don't it know. It is charming. So what makes you, just on a on a base level, what makes you, I guess, trust or appreciate the Raw Milk Institute as a private company that slaps a like, this is Raw Milk Institute certified label versus like the FDA slapping a similar uh, label on. Yeah. I don't know if I necessarily would have an issue with the FDA doing it. It's just something they're not doing. And I tend to just be distrustful of government processes just because of their historical tendency to be inefficient. Sure. Well, and to like, there are perverse incentives too, right? Where like something can be labeled organic. Or mm-hmm. it can be labeled a 100% pure essential oil or it can be labeled, you know, whatever sort of these like fad marketing terms are. Mm-hmm. And you can look like on the FDA's website to determine like what is the real criteria to to earn that label. And it doesn't actually have to be wholly organic or 100% like pure, purely derived from essential oils or, you right. know, fill, fill in the blank. And so it it's. It can be misleading, which I think leads to that distrust. Uh, yes. And this kind of steers us back into the topic of regulation and me not ranting about, you know, the biology of milk. You knowing, um, you knowing the temperature limits <laughs> and really time helpful. for milk pasteurization <laughs> was already all I needed. But um, a lot of like government regulation, especially if it's just completely, you know, silly or if it isn't just completely silly. You've you've reached a threshold that the government says is acceptable, but to reach that point, there's usually a lot of concession and compromises in even writing that regulation. Mm-hmm. And so, again, with organic stuff and whatnot, that's an example. But another example is like OSHA. Special- I hate OSHA. Mm-hmm. I think it's stupid. But also, if you look at like the basic requirements of what OSHA like requires, like you could be on a job site where you check every box for like what OSHA thinks is acceptable and you would have an unsafe work site. Oh, so like, it's not always mean? like, uh, like if you look at like what is acceptable for like a hand railing, I haven't checked recently, but like generally it is like literally like a two by four, blah, 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 blah. And like in a lot of circumstances, I would say that that is not a safe practice. Gotcha. Um, depending on your work environment or where you're at or what you have to do, that's up to the discernment of, Who's working, but you could put people at risk by, you know, achieving all of the required um, well, I metrics. Guess, yeah, the metrics for for safety. And that's not to say I don't think, you know, I don't think the government should make it more in depth per se. But there's a, there's a cost analysis and uh, in construction and things like that, the biggest culprit, more so than an OSHA fine of a couple thousand dollars is lawyers. Right. So there's the incentive. The incentive is to not have someone get hurt and be sued. Right. Because you could blow your OSHA test and if you're on a multi-million dollar project, 
project, you might get a you know ten thousand dollar fine. Okay, but in your so argument, there's there's, you... there's a perverse incentive to even follow OSHA for one, and it's not even up to scuff with what could end up you know getting you sued. I think you are a very responsible contractor. Uh, That's true, in, right? In my not experience, is. it is not that contractors usually go go above and beyond OSHA. Right. So like if OSHA says you need to put up a wood hand railing and you say, well, that's not good enough. I would do something even better than that. I would say the vast Mm -hmm. majority from my experience. Right. So, of course, this is all going to be personal perspective. But like in my experience, they would say, "Uh, what's the use in throwing up a railing? Like, I know I'm not going to fall and I accept the risk. Which I think, well, and as an individual, <laughs> as an individual, I, I do all the time. Right. If I'm working on a site alone or I'm with, you know, another guy that I work with a lot. We'll be like, oh, this should probably have a railing, but eh, it's whatever. Because you you're know, like, oh, it's going like to take an contra- hour. Putting up railing. Yeah, we've got a contract between minutes. ourselves. We're, we're accepting that, that responsibility or that risk. However, any job that we have been on where either of us are GCing or managing anything and we know there will be other people. Again, this is just part of our philosophy. We are responsible for the safety of the people on site. Even though they're subs, these are not employees, these are subs. They've got their own liability, all this stuff. It's just like a our own philosophy, right? Like we feel that it is essential that we make sure we have railing up and even more so than that, especially with new construction, it's like I trust the workers, I don't trust the owner that walks through every night that comes and checks out right the the property and things like that and so there's like the real liability again probably. that's we're always preaching personal responsibility <laughs> but yes not everyone is personally responsible or thinks about that or cares about that well and you're in a position where you are managing a project so you have taken on the responsibility of right. that project so i think where hmm. a lot of this goes for me too so whether we're talking about raw milk or OSHA standards or any other type of company is if as a consumer I am expected to know every detail of every product I consume or every activity that I participate Mm -hmm. in I just think that's like near impossible like there's no way that I could possibly know every risk associated with every project product that I could buy right does that make sense so like specifically Mm -hmm. for cat I I guess I would want to know your perspective on that of like in my mind (laughs) there is a level of like yeah i want the government to wipe my ass i know you've used that before but like (laughs) like in a way i'm like yeah when i walk through walmart i would like to know that these products aren't going to kill me or if they are that they have sufficient warnings on them so that i personally don't have to do my homework which you might say well then you're an irresponsible consumer which i'm open to (laughs) no i mean look i'm not that i'm not that hard core of a libertarian i mean i think maybe i personally would be willing to take on that task i say that from the comfort of a place mm-hmm. sure. the world i live in where i don't have to do that but yeah i can admit that there's a role for some oversight whether it's a private entity or a public entity ensuring that there are some sort of standards base standards that are followed and i think it's a matter of scale, right? And when you live in a community as large as ours with as many products as we have, mm-hmm. and as, as you're saying, Alex, as many choices to make constantly throughout the day about those various products, having that baseline standard is 
super valuable. And frankly, it makes the process of consuming more efficient. So I think you could maybe even argue whether it's a public or private entity, there's there's an efficiency question there and probably like an inherent incentive to to create those base standards just to make the whole process run smoothly. Which I guess, but there are lots of examples of bad regulation <laughs> <Yes>. out there. <laughs> and I think this, just based on other whiskey bench episodes that I've heard, I think it's more that I was like, ah, I want, I want them to give regulation its fair shake because it is dumb all the time. And like, I currently disagree with a lot of regulations, but I don't mm-hmm. know that mm-hmm. the answer is like, well, then stop regulating. You know, it's like, no, you got to change the regulation, right? So even raw milk that. Which, well, which then, yes. Kat, you know a ton about because if we said, okay, let's start, let's legalize raw, legalize raw milk, put that on the ballot. Uh, <gasps> Bumper sticker. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like it. But if that, <laughs> if that gets brought up, now we're talking about lobbying and now we're talking about special interests again of like, oh, is big dairy going to play ball with raw milk? And do they even have a shot at getting regulated no. if they only have 10% or less? of market share well, while it's currently not even legal, you know? And, right. And that's where, from what I've been seeing, that's already happening with the prices of milk tanking because people don't want it. They don't feel good when they drink it. This is, again, just what I've seen in some various pro-raw milk, to be fair. <laughs> pro-raw milk propaganda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, they're like, yeah, we were producing high quality milk. It's, it's more expensive, but people want it. They're willing to pay the money. Right. And so. Well, their time has come, right? I mean, yeah. like culturally, there's been a phenomenon, like whether it's real or it's people buying into good marketing, there's been a cultural shift of people being interested in health and taking care of their bodies and eating whole foods like that's gone mainstream. So. The raw milk coalition is sort of, it's their heyday. Getting some strength. Yeah. Yeah. So is that just like a natural evolution that, I don't know, that we're willing to accept the regulation of like, yeah, there's probably a lot that's going to be bad. And then at some point the pendulum will swing. Because I'm also thinking of like the two that come to mind, of course, is marijuana, right? Which was like, this is super bad Mm. and super illegal. And then over time, people are like, I don't know. I don't know about that. Maybe it doesn't have as much right. adverse health effects and maybe we should legalize it. And and still the regulation went from illegal to legal. And here are these restrictions. And similarly, you have cigarettes or tobacco in general, which is like, this is good. Everyone use it. And then over time, it swung the other way of like, well, maybe this is bad and we need to like put labels on this shit. Yeah, with marijuana, it seemed more like the government saw an opportunity to make a buck, um, which is part of the problem with right. regulation in general. You might know the stats better than me, Kat, but... <laughs> Why? Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> Kat, you, you know all the marijuana time. stats, right? No, 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 no not, not marijuana. I'm just talking... What I'm about to say. I'm not talking about marijuana San specifically. San Francisco. Oh, is it boy. in one way or another U.S. government in the business of about 50% of GDP. Oh god, I I don't know that. And then set. I think it's like a third directly and part of that is like, okay, we're going to regulate and have to help you operate like all of your dispensaries or whatever. 
for for the marijuana industry for just in general everything oh oh you're oh, talking like, like big picture cost of regulation i'm just talking how invested in like everything the government is i think it's 50% of gdp is like one way or another like through the government and they hit you're they, saying 50% of our national gdp is representative of simply the cost imposed by government to operate in the marketplace yes that's a dick ton. And I believe like one of my favorite terms, um, like post <laughs> World War II, it was like 10%. A metric. <laughs> so it's, it's grown quite a bit. But part of that reason is due to regulation, I think, because I've got some stats here. Just on the federal level, we have 70 different regulatory agencies, which employ hundreds of thousands of people. So much so that the stat was that every year, employing all of the regulatory employees costs every man, woman, and child not working every man, woman, and child in the United States, $13,000. I did see that just stat. For the regulation. There's one. It does make everything really inefficient. There's one stipulation, which is if all of those costs went directly it, to consumer. Correct. And I did see that. But um, still like, holy shit. That's expensive. <laughs> and that's, again, this is a different thing. But like when you look at education, it's like similar stats where it's like, oh, there's a lot of money going in education. Like, where, why, where's it going? Mm. And then administrative fees. Yeah, I got all this from uh, government regulation: the good, the bad, and the ugly regulatory transparency project from regproject.org. Wow. Um, but they claimed as well that every year they're issuing about 3,500 new rules to a regulatory code that is now over 168,000 pages long. Oh yeah, and that has a name. What is that named? The federal, the federal register. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. And part of the problem is they just keep adding regulation um, instead and, of. And, and, and largely these regulations are put in place, not out of some sort of like benevolence of, mm-hmm. you know, big brother saying we need to take care of, you know, my citizens. This is the result of special interest lobbying. Like right. that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. So it's this like kind of, convoluted web of rules that ultimately like big picture makes things less efficient and like slows progress Mm, right i just looked this up as of 2018 so these numbers are old but the annual cost of federal regulation and intervention was estimated to be 1.9 trillion dollars so that is a good chunk of our gdp yeah, that is a lot. Also, the the twenty twenty federal spending was equal to thirty one percent of GDP. So not quite fifty, but still yeah. an amount that makes me throw up in my mouth. Well, wow. and that's federal spending. That's yeah. like right. just yeah. expenditures, not yeah, not regulation. That that play. is just government. Yeah. Fiscal. So policy. with that, because yeah. I've heard proposed specifically about the federal register of okay one of the rules that we should impose is that for every government agency if you would like to add a regulation you must subtract two i, think I was, that was thinking Trump's about that deal wasn't so, it uh i did see that in i think it was february 3rd 2017 trump uh had an executive order 13772 that's been repealed too it FYI. has been repealed okay yeah. and it was so, a uh regulation reform protocol which reading over it earlier seemed really smart and it was basically like each department had to have a head or a group of people that their job was to like go through old 
regulation and reform it or get rid of it and like try to clean up 168,000 pages of regulation. Yeah. Um, that was one of his big sort of accomplishments that at least he touted that right. like he uh, was actively trying to deregulate stuff. Now you can thing. quibble with that. I love <laughs> the idea of that. Sure. I hate that it was an executive order. Well, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then because it was an executive so, order, Biden simply, that was one of his, in his right. initial slew of orders, that was one of the things he undid. Right. I'm like, And ah. that's the problem of doing things by executive decree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm just imagining it. You know, the fight scene in Harry Potter where. No. Yes. Harry Potter. Go fights, on, please. Fights, <laughs> fights, fights the little blonde Slytherin kid. What's his face? Malfoy. Malfoy. In which movie are we talking? It's one of the first couple, right. right? It's like the second one when they're little and learning magic. Okay. I'm not that into Harry Potter. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, me either. Sure, sure, sure. And then doesn't like one of them use a bad spell yeah. and the teacher has to block yep. it? Okay, all right. Um, I want to see this scene recreated with Biden and Trump's face pasted on the two characters. <laughs> Of them just going at each other. The but, Daily Wire but then who is, to do that yeah, for you. So. Who is Snape? Who is the teacher that says, all right, none of that. Like, does that exist? Rand Paul? Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> no, Nancy Pelosi would be like, she's hey, cheering Slytherin. one of them on. Here's the death spell. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the problem, again. right? But then we're just talking about government again, right? Because we're like, well, well, right, who yeah. can boss around those guys to make sure they stay in line? Yeah, exactly. Nobody should boss anyone around. <laughs> Make your own decisions and fail if you're going to fail. Oh, cat! I did that. This is a great uh, tangent, that quote. I don't know if it's a tangent. What I am afraid of in a lot of this conversation is just a grifter, right? So, so I think what you are saying of like everyone should just be able to make their own decision and there's a market force that says do a good job or you'll have a bad reputation and not have money. Which I think totally yeah. exists within a smaller environment, right? So if you're just in a town, mm -hmm. and Torna, you've brought this up about like it like barbershops. It exists in a big shops. environment too. But. but I think at right. that point, all you have to do is just remain anonymous in enough places that you will make a huge profit by screwing over a lot of people, right? So Yeah, but when you scale up, there's more competition. And competition is that force that drives prices down and quality up right so in theory but then that's where you get into weird regulation being an issue we're talking about no regulation right. we're talking about a, in the oh, absence oh, right. utopia so like right. i as yeah. grifter alex could say i got this raw <laughs> milk and it's literally just water that i added I don't know, flour to, you know, and I'm like, E. coli yeah. flour too. And not, yeah. a, not even necessarily poison, right? Like, people right. don't have you know, to just die. definitely not milk. I just have to trick yeah. people. And I go do. Why don't they make a dairy substitute called definitely not milk? <laughs> well, that's where, like. Just, just randomly. Okay, so Alex the Grifter could, like, roam from town to town. And as soon as people catch on to him, he gets, and like, just bail. driven out of town. Mm -hmm. Like, eventually you're going to have, like, a bounty out on your head and John Wayne is going to hunt you down and like shoot you where, out in a bar somewhere. Where does the bounty come social from? Media, Twitter would blow up on you real quick. The bounty would come. That could even just come from private citizens. People are like enough communities start talking and they're like, man, word's gotten out. Alex the Grifter is screwing us with his goddamn flower water. Yeah. Do you see that? And we need him stopped. <laughs> Do you see that Flower different? water, otherwise known as bread. <laughs> <laughs> is that different than regulation? 
because that's a local regulation, right? Alex the Grifter is there's now so, a bounty the and question. he's not allowed to sell. That here. isn't even the, but, well. That's not regulation. That's like that's like an immediate solution to an isolated problem. Because now, say you're doing that, what regulation would prevent that? You're not allowed to sell flower water. Or I have to label that it's flower water and I can't call it milk because the government defines milk as something other than flower water. Correct. But again, that regulation isn't going to stop the grifter per se. Because then I'll just get a different label and say, no, no, this is the government yeah. label that says milk. Yeah. I, I don't know how much a label maker is nowadays, but <laughs> pretty affordable. You get some pretty pictures and some cool labels on there. However, yeah, have you ever like sh- accidentally clicked to the tempting shopping links on Instagram? I mean, that is all yeah, like true. marketing and there's nothing behind that. You but, get sucked in real quick. True. But to, <laughs> to, to be fair and to agree with your point in some capacity there, like where regulation I think is good is like when you see, okay, if it has trans fats, you need to label it as having trans fats. Now, the question is, how accurate is that being monitored with, like you said earlier, Kat, things being organic, yada, yada, yada. I see immense value in having labeling and requiring labeling on products because then you need less regulation because the information is there for then people to make informed decisions. Totally. So yeah, there's I see like, a lot of value you can get too. rid of a ton of regulation with the use of one, you know, smarter form of regulation. The problem is... They're just stacking it on top of each other. Mm. So now you have these companies that have to jump through all of these hoops and then also label stuff. Well, yeah. And again, so yes, I can completely agree. I do think that there is a role for some kind of oversight and some kind of standard in a limited capacity. And again, the problem is that most of the regulations that businesses have to navigate are imposed in part by special interest lobbying Mm -hmm. and therefore like those are particularly designed to benefit one group at the expense of others Mm -hmm. so they inherently are going to make things whether it's business or consuming whatever end of the spectrum like it's going to make life difficult for some people Mm -hmm. and then you multiply that by like a million and it kind of becomes a convoluted mess. Yeah. Both uh, as I was both of us are through. idealists, you know, where I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. just have yeah. just have a, a, a boss who regulates this stuff and then everyone's safe. And you're like, yeah, but they don't do that fairly. And then on your side, you're like, well, yeah, just everyone make an informed decision. And then I go, well, what about a grifter who takes advantage of people? And then it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> if either system worked perfectly, we would have no problem. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And so you've got to look at it and think, okay, what is, you know, what you've got to analyze it with, what is that, like a cost benefit analysis? Like, oh, yeah. Kat brought that up on the, this, on the energy episode of like, we're all accepting oh, risk. Yeah. Just pick your most favorite or what you hate the most, you know? Yeah. Right. It's, there's and, and there's it's, trade offs. Everything there's is you're going to look at it and be like, okay, <laughs> yeah. if we implement this regulation, which I would say the government is not thinking about when they're implementing regulation, but if this, regulation is implemented what is the long-term effect is it going to stop the drifter Mm, it might stop some drifters but i think some will still get through but then past that okay now what about the people that are now under this regulation what is the result of that Mm. 
So the biggest problem there with exactly what you're describing is when special interest lobby for a particular law or mm-hmm. regulation to be put in place, the the benefit is concentrated. So there's a concentrated group of people right. who seek they, or they they benefit immensely mm-hmm. and they see that benefit and they're excited about it and they support it and the costs are dispersed. Correct. So the costs are so widely dispersed through society. Most people don't realize that they're paying, you know, a price for this regulation. Right. The So there's no incentive to reform it. Exactly. But again, you multiply that. And when people start to realize like, wow, everything I buy is incredibly is the price is inflated because sugar is, is the most expensive in the United States of anywhere else. Yeah. Because of stupid regulation on how much sugar you can ship around. Hmm crazy i mean and then sh- and then it's like well fuck sugars and everything and then right. you start to realize like wow i shouldn't buy anything that's processed you know and whatever that's a whole what like what can i thing, buy but- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some planting soil <laughs> it's got like, sugar oh wait no it's filled with, in the yeah, grocery no. store freaking out yeah nice but yeah the fact but concentrated benefits and and dispersed costs is sort of the root of the problem of why there's no reform on this and it just metastasizes one example of what well, i because we we're talking about labeling and i think that that's huge like especially i don't know if this is actually regulated but king supers does a like price per ounce and it has it on the label at least in colorado i don't know if that's also true in montana I think most places now have a, a unit price. So you can see like, uh, I know Walmart does like, oh, the 10 pound bag of sugar is five cents, you know, up ounce. And then the one pound bag of sugar is marked at, you know, nine right. cents a exactly. pound or whatever. So you can see. Because you the, might you think, oh, I'm saving money because I'm buying the bigger box. And it's like, nope, it's on the label right. that actually it's cheaper for you to just get right. four small ones instead. That right, to yeah. me is like absolute chef's kiss yes like that lets a consumer pick what makes the most sense yes and a win a win for me would be i don't know this just feels like it's getting popularized i've heard it several times in the last year but with uh appliances and specifically refrigerators in 1975 the federal trade commission mandated that everyone had to slap on the estimated energy costs for a year of operation of their appliance, mm-hmm. which at first, like I, again, I'm curious, like a special interest would be opposed to that. Right. So if you're currently making like the, the top selling refrigerator, toaster, microwave, whatever, you would be very opposed to this because you currently have the best sales. Everyone loves your product. But as soon as the government says, Hey, also, you should tell them how efficient this appliance is. And as soon as they have that's to assuming, slap that label on, you know, and yeah. now they have a C plus and someone else. That's true. Has, but that's assuming that the best producer is a highly expensive, inefficient appliance. Well, and their competitor and or the other technology that is hoping to right. supplant it would have an incentive and so that. And here's a here's a question too. It might cost the user more to have a refrigerator versus another. But what if the refrigerator that costs more in energy is just a better refrigerator, holds temperature better? Like 
It's more aesthetically pleasing, like fill in all these other factors outside of energy. Whereas the next best one is really energy efficient, but like it doesn't, it doesn't work well for the user. But now because of the, of the regulation or you have to meet energy standards, the company that has a really good design is now penalized because of its inefficiencies. Whereas the other product, which by all other metrics other than energy efficiency is a bad product is now elevated because it's not being penalized. Right. There is a distinction I would want to make because you blurred lines there. Cause one is just all my regulation, you know, Papa government just mm-hmm. says you have to label it. They don't even say there's any quotas to meet, you know, like no. there is no okay. emission standard because in that sense, like, yeah, the consumer's totally free to pick, you know, over the course of three years, the refrigerator that would be right. more expensive. Just giving more information. Exactly. And that to me, correct. Cat, hopefully you're on board too of if there is a vehicle or or if it's solar or whatever, like all you have you are mandated to slap on this thing metrics that let the consumer make a more informed decision. But it wouldn't it yeah, wouldn't make sense for say, them to say, well, here's the energy efficiency standard government says you have to meet like the goal would be that it's cheaper to use the thing and it's a better product anyway and everyone's going to want to do that without government mandating to meet this metric i think in papa alex government world (laughs) that is a nice solution but in reality like those labels are like requiring that a product release that type of information is usually the result of a standard that's already been set by the government Mm. that if you do not meet you will be punished Mm. um i do think though if this isn't done already and perhaps i'm just ignorant about this but it'd be really cool if not just like the efficiency of driving a vehicle and like you know sort of the the mileage and whatnot was uh disclosed to consumers but like the carbon footprint of production exactly. I think would be really interesting right too. and i think that's where regulation isn't always beneficial or rarely beneficial because it's not paired with transparency no that's true so it's like you can regulate something and the government can say like oh we have all these regulations and it's helping keeping people safe but there's not transparency on like the thinking behind that regulation or on the flip side like transparency from uh say a, you know for a consumer like that i think that's a more powerful form of information than just like it's regulated and it meets government you know f- fuel efficiency in the state of california right. Okay, this this like arbitrary product passed an arbitrary test, and you're like, are we supposed? Yeah, I was just. Are like, we hey, supposed to applaud? Yeah, <laughs> like, huh? <laughs> right, right. Something a super dumb example of that is if you have to. I know we're already talking about uh, electric vehicles potentially being mandated, which I don't support. By mm-hmm. the way, I think that's super dumb. But mandating even MPG standards doesn't make mm-hmm. sense economically. Because then all you do is motivate a car to be more efficient, which means it is less expensive to operate the vehicle, which will probably inevitably inevitably mean that people will drive more. Right? 
So it's yeah, like, that's a okay, good that's a good we point. just and mandated 25 is, MPG. So now all the vehicles are now, tw- this is hypothetical. I don't think we've. Yeah. And, yeah. At, and at the same time, there are certain communities, I think in Petaluma, mm-hmm. California, they want to, um, in their like <laughs> attempt to like fight climate change, they're going to, uh, they're proposing to like ban building any new gas stations. And like a handful of economists were like, yo, <laughs> that's not going to work. If you do that, people are just going to, people are just going to drive farther, yeah. which means they're going to be driving more to get gas. <laughs> like you're not going to get like the poorest among us to like not drive to their job uh, or like drive yeah. a Tesla, you know, like, also, so uh, <laughs> speaking about the poorest among us, yeah, like there seems to be this oversight in all government regulation that just forgets about the poorest among us. And like all this regulation, everything like that, always impacts and will always impact the poorest people in this country. And that's where the dispersed costs come in, right? Yeah. Like it mm. just it just makes everything inherently more expensive. That's one of the biggest challenges I mm-hmm. see with with a carbon tax, which there are a lot of sort of like Austrian style economists, you know, like economists that I sympathize with who argue that a carbon like if you want to reduce something put a tax on it so if we want to reduce carbon emissions tax them that's pretty logical however mm-hmm. i think one of the biggest like maybe it's even just a political challenge is that that will inherently hurt the poorest among us the most mm-hmm. and in government's utopian thinking i think a lot of bureaucrats to that would say well then we'll just tax one part of our constituency to subsidize the other and then Mm -hmm. you enter into a territory where like every market signal is completely distorted the entire market is completely inefficient and everybody ultimately is like paying more in one form or another more than they need to Mm -hmm. and and to me that's like nightmare territory what does that Um, specifically look like because admittedly i am someone who's like yeah carbon tax (laughs) disincentivize the thing that you don't want so in your world yeah i'm sympathetic to that someone too. Mm-hmm. I, I am so the pitch would be like well if it's going to affect the poorest people just exempt them from the carbon tax if they're like under the poverty no, line i don't so- think i don't think it i don't think it would be and again like this i'm not speaking to like specific legislation that's been proposed mm-hmm. i'm just speaking to like what like ideas that have been tossed around and and sure. my own thoughts but um no, I don't think it would be a matter of exempting people from the carbon tax. I think it would be a matter of increasing taxes on a certain percentage of earners to then create more transfer payments to subsidize um, people who are impacted, large, you know, have a bigger impact because of a carbon tax, mm. you know. So whether that's like increased food stamps or increased oh, okay. childcare subsidies or increased whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, an Obama phone, whatever it is. But like, did you say Obama just, phone? It, it turn- Obama phone? Yeah, you guys don't remember no. that. No, after the Great Recession, Obama yeah, phone, cell phones, and they were calling them Obama phones. Wait, government issued? Yeah, you know, my I government issued my Obama phone. I'm on my Obama phone. Yeah, like it was Hold a whole this thing. Is not real. Cat's making this up. <laughs> This is cat. No, cat met a grifter who sold her on some shady AT and T plan. I got a burner Obama phone. It was sick. Yeah. Wow. I had no idea. Oh goodness. Okay. Well, um, just just had this thought with with regulation. Um, you know, 
regulation is applied in a a market like you said they don't want they want less co2 emissions so now they write regulation and implement it to punish people that are emitting you know too much co2 or whatever mm-hmm. then you see a long line of impacts for people that maybe can't afford a more efficient car things like that but then on the flip side part of the reason or issues with all this regulation is that that's the route they take and that is the government has a mission or a view for where they want um, the trajectory of the market or whatever to go um, so we'll punish people that are in that market instead of instead of regulating just incentivizing the alternative which would be like hey it's fine you can drive the most inefficient car you want but like here's a cool tax credit yeah if you have an electric car but even or things like that that are you would be opposed to yeah exactly but I I would yeah. be personally because like but, that's exactly yeah. why yeah, I got it, solar of like yeah you have a twenty six percent tax credit and I'm like well I feel like I'd be right. stupid not to whether or not that's uh, a- I like tax <laughs> credits because it's it's not costing anyone anything oh uh, what are you yeah, talking that's, about yes, that's the point okay <laughs> I'm like it benefited me in, in theory I use someone else's theory, they're subsidizing solar and stuff like yeah. that but it should be like hey you have solar panels that's awesome here's a tax credit. You pay less in taxes. We get less money. Yeah, but they've but, already spent yeah, well, billions already of taxpayers' su- money well, to subsidize the company. They've already subsidized everything. Yeah. Um, and then they're subsidizing, frankly, not you, Alex Falcon Grove, but <laughs> often very wealthy people to purchase fair, <laughs> to fair. purchase luxury cars and deck out their homes in a technology that's inaccessible to most people. Okay, here's a great example of where regulation is weird. Uh, with tax code and whatnot, looking into um, what oh my god, he's blowing up. And Joe, fucking popular over six here. Six texts in a row. What the? It's all Henning being like, "Let me in. I got things to say." <laughs> yes, yeah, totally. Okay. Um, <laughs> let me focus up here. Focus. Uh, what was I saying? You like you tax- love regulation oh, and taxes. Oh, well, no, no. no. <laughs> But where like things get really funky and weird with like business tax and like how now I don't know that again, I do not know if this is absolutely true, but I read that so many business owners own Mercedes wagons. Conspiracy theory. Because they weigh enough, their curb weight is enough that they can be classified as like a heavy work truck. And so like you end up being able to write off like sixty or seventy percent of the car's value. Honestly, you could probably That's you could probably do that no matter what. Like most this is coming strictly from like personal business experience is like for most Mm -hmm. of the time you can depreciate a vehicle over the length of like five years. So if it's like, well, now you can depreciate it over three years instead, it's like eh, marginal benefit. I don't think business owners are Mm -hmm. really, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, switching to a Mercedes because of that. I think that's a dumb loophole. But this incentivized, (laughs) but again, this is incentivizing higher earners because now you're talking about a vehicle that is, Two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Sure, so you're getting a lot more benefit out of it than depreciating a eighty thousand dollar Ford three fifty over five years. So you're seeing like bigger returns on, you know, loopholes or Mm -hmm. getting around regulation. But so what do we think? Because like again, on paper and again, admittedly, I am the ideal of like government will help the consumer. Uh, Mm -hmm. 
in that scenario, like, yeah, incentive seems to be the best way to motivate certain behavior. And even like currently in the in the government package, like me getting a 26 percent tax incentive to get solar for me is a no brainer. And me being someone who can afford that or have the credit to get that means that I just benefit off of this incentive. Like, is there a system Mm -hmm. that we think is a better alternative? Because what that seems to me is like, well, yeah, anyone who has room for opportunity will just capitalize on government incentives, which isn't like necessarily bad, but it's just a probably a specific group of people that constantly gets these incentives. Well, and then you have to ask, like, how productive are those government um, like tools that they're employing? Like, are they really achieving their stated aim? I'd argue often they're not. Mm. And it turns into simply like transferring wealth from taxpayers to special interests. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do think that there are market forces that can deliver like safe products and safe food. You know, the... Climate change question is a behemoth and beyond the scope, I think, of this conversation. <laughs> sure. I mean, that's we should have like a multi-series conversation about that. Energy and, like, was a great start. Market solutions there are. That was a great yeah. episode. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, even though I was so sweary. <laughs> <laughs> um, if we have time for another bit of regulation, I have something to oh, share. Oh, happy. Fire away. Um. So in California, uh, something called the California Department of Insurance or the CDI basically regulates insurance premiums and they've put essentially a cap on how high those can go. Mm-hmm. And so insurance companies are limited in how much they can charge homeowners. And what this has this done is, statewide. is, yeah, and it's created sort of a really unfortunate, unintended consequence of encouraging people to build their homes in the wooey in the wildland urban interface like between urban communities and and wild lands um because then it doesn't have to be insured which is where forest fires occur Mm. yeah and so Mm. um so basically what this capping the price of insurance premiums has encouraged people to build in high-risk areas um, and they're encouraged to do so because they aren't they aren't faced with the full cost of that risk. Oh, um, I'm understanding. Now. And so for a long, I see. They're yeah. like, oh, okay. Then now it's cheaper to build here. Yeah, because, exactly. So in mm. some form, they're actually being subsidized, right? And right. so they, so the initial consequence was more people were building in high risk areas, and then, in particular, after the 2017, 2018, like really bad, frankly, like catastrophic wildfire seasons mm-hmm. in Calif- California. A lot of insurers had to leave the marketplace because their their costs outweighed, you know, what they could legally charge for their insurance premiums. Mm. And mm. so so that actually left homeowners without insurance and they would then have to opt for like the state plan, which is like shitty and bare bones and, you know, not ideal. Which I'm sure the state likes. Right. <laughs> right. Well, even then, um, probably not. Like the state would probably have a very similar problem in a pretty short amount of time. Right. 
Oh, totally. Oh, right. Yeah. Cause true. their liability is huge yeah. all of a sudden. And yeah. And then they're not, they're not raking in, you know, an amount to, to offset that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, it's just created this totally perverse incentive to, that encourages risk, ta- like unhealthy right. risk. Taking. And so, and this is where it, you can see where it's coming from, right? Okay. They're seeing an issue. I'm assuming with, uh, low income impoverished communities specifically and maybe their inaccessibility to homeowner insurance so they're thinking oh if we cap it that might control the market and benefit the poorest among us and then you have this really crazy adverse reaction do you know why it was created cat do you have any information on that on why they set the cap. Yeah, because that could be, you know, someone did some internal study on an insurance company and they were like, you guys are pocketing way too much money and there's not enough competition, you know, blah, blah, blah. And therefore, we need to cap your premiums because you're charging out the wazoo for something that should be less expensive. Like, was it like that? And instead, we should have relied on a market um, force? Oh, well, I mean, that's a that's a good question. I don't know exactly what what sparked pun intended <laughs> that um <laughs> that regulation um but i but it wasn't the case that there was one like monopoly insurer in the state that was screwing people over like this has impacted multiple insurance companies mm. um and some have had to leave the state as i said because they can't it just doesn't it's not they're not it's That's not a viable crazy to me any longer because something like that yeah that totally. type of setup. and colorado yeah, go ahead Actually, Colorado is a state that for a long time did the opposite. They allowed insurance companies to adjust premiums based pretty much solely on like risk assessment. Um, and unfortunately, in the last couple of years, they well, in the last year in particular, um, I don't know what has happened with that legislation, but there was legislation or like conversation about legislation um, about like nine months ago where they were considering literally implementing what California's Department of Insurance has done. Yeah, what is um, the goal? And my organization was like, no, <laughs> like wrote op-eds. We're like, please don't do that. Uh, is recent history so far away? Yeah. It can't be remembered? Yeah, exactly. Um, but that to me is such like a blatant example of something that perhaps was well-intended, right? As sure. you're saying, mm-hmm. Torno, like let's cap prices because- Apparently, it's really expensive to insure homes in this area. I wonder why. <laughs> um, and instead of thinking about like, oh, it's because maybe don't in build the here forest land <laughs> with fuel buildup and yeah. dry conditions, and uh, it's prone to wildfire. Yeah. You know, so and that's actually like statistically speaking, when you look at like the increase, like one of the measures we have of like of um, sort of, I guess, like severity of wildfire and like why, like one metric we use to determine how wildfires have become more catastrophic in recent years. One of those metrics is sort of like the cost of of physical assets like homes burning, right? Or mm-hmm. lives lost, of course. Part of the problem there is more and more people are moving into the wooey. Right. And in part, they're doing that because of perverse incentives like being their insurance being subsidized and them not realizing how much risk they're actually taking by living in, in these parts of the land. Um, so there's kind of like a whole host of 
complicated unintended consequences from that type of regulation. Uh, yeah, because then I want to say, well, just you can build there, but just don't expect to be insured. But then I'm like, in what world can you buy property? You know, like right. they're going to have to go to a bank and the bank will require insurance. So then it's the answer is be homeless, yeah. you know, like. Yeah. Or like live somewhere else. Sure. But, right. Don't yeah. buy land and build there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Which is a tough pill to swallow. I mean, yeah. look, I'd love to live in the wooey. That's like the dream. Right. Mm. But but if you're going to do that, I think this I mean, that's sort of like having an honest label on your raw milk choice oh, yeah. right mm-hmm. like have the full breadth of accurate information to make that decision and part of what helps you determine that risk is what your insurer is willing to right. cover right and what it's going to cost yeah. to be covered and if that price is distorted you don't have accurate information to make that risk assessment for yourself very succinctly put so. i agree entirely yeah. Leave it to California to have a good example of doing something wrong. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, my home state. I love them. <laughs> do you want to do you want to hear regulation that it's probably just going to make you upset? You want to yes. get mad? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so here's one cuz I specifically went out of my way since, you know, for the most part I'm more like, yeah, regulation, we'll figure it out. Not anti, but this one I was like, all right, I got to find stuff that even I am like, this is stupid. We yeah. need to not have this. So in Massachusetts, if you are in a day, if you operate a daycare, there is now a law that mandates that you brush the teeth of the children who are there if they're there for four hours or more and have food. Yep. You, I know exactly because oh, I read all of their article almost. That is a fee article, isn't it? I don't even know. I just looked it up. There's oh, a whole, there's like 17 and they're like, here's some of the 17 worst regulations. And a lot yep. of them are like. I bet that's fee. It's definitely a fee article. <laughs> totally fee. Because then I fact checked and was like, all right, some of these are bunk. You know, you're like reading into right. it, not with the correct like lawyer Aww. regulation idea. But in the Massachusetts one, like, no, that is correct. So in that. Right. This is even me being like, yeah, government, that's a good thing. Like, yes, kids should brush their teeth like in every objective way. That's a good thing for someone's health. Mandating that feels insane to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From a care like a daycare provider. Yeah. And not only that, you have well. to prove it. You know, like if someone walks in the door and they're like, did you brush those kids teeth today? And then like, you have to, and you know, have to prove it or lose your license. The toothbrush log. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's that's crazy. <laughs> Even though it's a good thing. Uh, yeah. Well, there's a there's a place yeah. and a role, right, for government. And brushing my children's teeth is probably not the government's role. No. Well, and then this is another. It was part of the fee. Just talking about like goofy regulation. There's like states where. If you go bankrupt with a business that sells goods, then you have to like buy a permit to close your business. (laughs) And then for every X amount, (laughs) for every thousand dollars that you sell in like, uh, um, your property or like supplies at your store, like you then are taxed on that. On top, yeah, of that your one's insane. Normal stuff. I, I saw that one too. You're just like, what? Hey, the? hey, government! Yeah. I don't have any money. Dinner? Oh yeah, <laughs> give us more money. I think it's Wisconsin. Well, yeah, that's just like when you die, you still get yeah. taxed. Uh, Talk about a double tax. Okay. Yeah. My, 
<laughs> my conclusion on all of this. So all this being said, all these bad ways that regulation has affected us and potentially the good ways, there is mm-hmm. a report from the World Bank, or I guess it's three guys from the World Bank. I don't know how associated with the World Bank it is. It is called the Ease of Doing Business Index. Out of 190 countries, where do you think mm-hmm. the U.S. ranks? Ease of Doing Ease Business, of doing business. Index. Granted, like, you're like, well, what does that mark- mean? Ease of doing business, which we'll talk about, but just like gut check. It's 20 to 40th. Yeah. Torna, agree? Uh, I'm going to say top, probably top 20, maybe 15. Okay. Cat, do you have a specific number? Um, I will say like 25th. Okay. This, for me... I was very surprised, right? Based on everything that we've said so far, we have ranked sixth <laughs> or higher for since oh, 2006. Very good. That's really good. Good stuff. See, and it's easy to be cynical or over, not overcritical, but it's easy to be blinded by your criticism. Yeah. Um, Which I think is all good. Like, I'm glad that all of us is, are is shitting Singapore on it. number one? But still like, okay, yeah, it, oh, <laughs> out of all the countries be. in the world. Is, what? What ranks one? Is it like Singapore yeah. and Hong yes. Kong? Those and, are and yeah. I'll look it up. It's worth it. I'd, I'd love to know. Thinking yeah. S- oh, my bad. My bad. One? Correction. Redacted. We have ranked eighth, eighth <laughs> or higher eighth. since 2006. Eighth is still good. Top 10. Bad. Top 10. Okay. So That's as good. of 2020, New Zealand, Singapore, Hong Kong, Denmark, South Korea, United States. Okay. Okay. Which, of course, New Zealand. there's like... Let's go to New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, right? Start a business. There's a little bit of... <laughs> of course, you like can't. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hello, I have my green card. Yeah. <laughs> Let me start a business. Uh, of course, part of that is like, okay, is this just a scale on which countries are developed? Like, yeah, kind of. You know, so there's a, a skewed uh, scale. Yeah, I can see that. But I also have a feeling like Canada's probably lower on that list. 23rd. Yeah, that is a representation of different... What was uh, 23rd? 23rd. Okay, because like a lot of European countries are pretty heavily regulated. Right. Where's France? France is another example of a country that's just been like mired in its own mess since yeah. you know, they cut off the... Germany's not been doing great recently. Yeah. France is in the 30s, low 30s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. Italy, I bet, too. Yeah. yeah get, Italy. Get Russia. Italy. Oh, which cat? Uh, now that we're Instagram friends, I saw your Italy trip. Oh yeah, <laughs> dude, Italy's the shit. Rome is fucking oh. awesome. I had such a fantastic, fantastic time in Rome. Oh yeah, but oh, Italy, Italy not Italy. doing well. Let's it's do it. Fifty eighth. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. That makes so sense. again, you know what's fun? I just <laughs> learned this the other day. Uh, the entirety of Russia has an economy that's like similar to the size of Italy. Excuse me? Well, because m- most of Russia is Moscow, not. <laughs> Moscow, <laughs> Moscow is like kind of a hopping place, and then the rest of the country is like an underdeveloped world. Well, and the vast majority of the co- of like that of the country is yeah. like not inhabited right. by humans. Right. Really. Exactly. All right. Yeah. And they've got a long Except history. Except for like political prisoners, maybe. Right. They're dispersed throughout <laughs> the tundra. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to our Russian whiskey babies. Yeah. We feel the vodka babies. I, I, 
Yeah, the, the vodka, vodka babies. babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sorry, vodka you guys. <laughs> really, this is a global empire. Yeah, we got our sake babies. Oh yeah, whiskey babies, vodka babies, uh, aqua v babies. Aww. Aqua v. Yeah, they drink a lot of aqua v in Colombia. Oh, okay, cool. Um, uh, I've never heard of that. Oh, uh, okay. Or uh, tequila Iceland. babies. Yeah. No. Oh, I love me our no favorite tequila. <laughs> Do you not like tequila, no. Alex? Yeah, Girl? that's my one. I mean, I'll no. still drink it, but it's like, God, it's. Did you have a bad experience? Not only that, you're just not it's into it. Both? Where I'm like, this one is not mm, my favorite. Yeah. This is not the liquor that I would choose. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. And people that like tequila are crazy. I have. <laughs> I like you're crazy, dude. If we went out <laughs> yeah. and you were like tequila shots, I immediately know what kind of person you are. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. <laughs> I definitely like tequila shots the most. Are, yeah, are you the one that orders them? Uh, I don't really order shots. There's a difference. Really. But I do love I'm tequila. Not, I'd rather have a tequila shot than like a slippery nipple or whatever. Ew. I, I don't understand why people get shots that aren't pure alcohol. Yeah. That's that's like bizarre to me. Yeah. When I all just, here's an like, aside. Tonight's special is the unicorn rainbow shit patty. And you're like, what is in that? Yeah, it's like you're not even, you're one, you're like paying. That's not efficient if you're trying to like get a buzz. Like, what are you paying for? You're buying sugar. Yeah. It's trash. But here's an aside. When I was in college. Back in, back back in, the, in day. the day. When I was like in the uh, dorm yeah. world. I used to just drink. It's so gross. I couldn't do it now. But I would just buy. A fifth of Jose Cuervo, and I would drink just shots of that, and then I'd have like a canteen of water, and I would just do shots and drink water in between. Did you chill it, cat? No, you are dude. it's just like walking around with a bottle of like reposado, but like not really. That it's demands like respect, Jose Cuervo, and that's efficient. Yeah, because you were probably like. It was Not efficient. only do I need a chaser, idea. I was broke. I need to stay hydrated. Yeah, <laughs> I need to stay hydrated. That actually was totally. You're a the monster, idea. but that and, is that is and totally actually, the it right works decision. Because really well. <laughs> you could have like twelve shots and be like chilling, you know. But yeah, <laughs> oh if I had twelve shots of tequila, I would die. Not if you had. Not your if you drink like. Not if you had like sixty-four ounces of water. Oh, in between, okay, right, yeah. Like, totally You're right. Fine. <laughs> that's a that's a cat top tip. For uh, efficient yeah. boozing, I love the that. only chaser <laughs> is water. Yeah, that's true. That's the best chaser. Uh. Yep. <laughs> well, I would say that this was a, a pretty solid conversation. Mm-hmm. I will say I feel like I was a little bit more negative throughout the whole podcast. I I didn't really present any <laughs> regulation that I saw as being uh, a pro or beneficial, uh, but. I mean, when you do look at things like uh, maybe building standards or fire suppression systems required, like there are things that have, you know, empirically prevented people from dying that have really helped society. And so, you know, I think there's a balance there. I I do see I do see that there is value in it, Um, but there's so much bad regulation that I think it's important to kind of chip away at that. and kind of leave what is benefiting. I think like the the larger pro I, I agree with you one. I mean there's there's like loads of examples of 
construction sites in like remote parts of Malaysia where like the entire scaffolding collapses because there is no standard and someone's just trying to do it as cheaply as they can and 30 people die, you know, like, so yes, there's a role for some kind of oversight. Right. Um, But I think like the broader problem with the scale of regulation that we have in the United States is that like more often than not, it's divorced from economic reality, which means that it creates perverse incentives and has unintended consequences. And as I said before, the costs are often dispersed while the benefits are concentrated on a particular special interest, which makes it exceedingly difficult to reform. So it becomes this sort of like Mm -hmm. entrenched bureaucracy. Yeah. Which we could do with less of. Yeah. So I think my takeaway from this, and I'd like to hear what you think, Alex, as well as you, Kat, but like, you know, I think it's dangerous to be absolutely anti any kind of regulation. I think it's it's not feasible. It's unrealistic. Um, but I also think the flip side of that is don't just assume that if something is regulated, that it is regulated well or that it's going to help you or be beneficial to society. Kind of find that middle ground of, of really looking into things, especially that are strictly regulated and kind of. You know, if it's something you're passionate about, maybe dive into it a little bit and see, okay, what what does regulation in, you know, what fill in the blank? I love, say you love knitting. I love knitting. You're like, okay, what yarn's really expensive. Then what? Okay, well, what's what's kind of regulation is behind like the maybe production of wool? I'm just shooting from sure. the hip here. Yeah. That could be really interesting. Like maybe there's some weird things where it's like, oh, this isn't helping the knitting community or sheep producers and just be aware of that and interested mm-hmm. in it. And, you know, could be a fun little, uh, thought experiment or a little homework assignment. Yeah. Find something you're really interested in and be like, how is this regulated? And is it ruining my passion for this? Yeah, that's yeah, totally. I completely agree. Be a responsible citizen. Right. And I mean, <laughs> there's that personal responsibility <laughs> rearing yeah. its head again. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. Think these things through, be aware of your environment, be aware of, why you do or are being forced to do the things that mm-hmm. you do. And then go out there and get yourself some some raw <laughs> cow milk, horse milk, unpasteurized milk, wool, camel milk, goat milk. <laughs> no, I I, I agree milk. with both of you. I think that's very well summarized. Can we can we try to get a movement together of like milking odd animals? No, that's like abuse. <laughs> and then and then the government gets really alarmed and they have to make regulation around like, you know. You aren't allowed to milk your Grizzly cat. bear milk or something. Grizzly bear milk. <laughs> My God. That'd be musky. Oh, boy. I don't know. <laughs> what if the bear just eats like huckleberries and What if sage? it's the best milk you've ever had? <laughs> Bears smell like crap. <laughs> but yeah, maybe. Oh, Alex, what were you going to say, though? Th- this was essentially my goal. Because I don't think regulation is the best thing in the world, but I, and I've talked to a fair amount of like libertarians or more conservative leaning friends that I have, and they're like, "Yeah, anti-regulation," and I'm like, "That's be more specific," you know, is more what I want the answer to be. Of you can want to regulate less or to change regulation, but to say that we should do away entirely, which I think a lot of people fantasize about, feels unrealistic to me. And I think Torna's take on mm-hmm and both of you personal responsibility be empowered that like (laughs) the two examples that we brought up at least of like 
marijuana, and raw milk, if you get enough people that are jazzed about your product, even if it's like, <laughs> even if the government says that it's a, this terrible thing for you and that there's all these regulations about how you have to pasteurize milk and blah, 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 you can get to a point of, hey, we like raw milk enough. You guys should approve that with the government. I think everyone okay, should I be start- empowered to, you can regulate and deregulate whatever you want if you get enough people on board. Yes, and this is a business endeavor that I'm going to propose to you two both right now. Oh, boy. That involves raw milk and marijuana. Oh, yes! I want a, yes. I want a boutique bakery. I want a boutique bakery, and we're going to call it Cushy and Cream. <laughs> oh, my God, I love it. <laughs> and we're going to have raw milk and delicious baked goods. Hell, yeah. Wow. You get stony and you get probiotics. Yeah. A lot of good things happening yeah. for your gut there. Or we could also have a a, a, a secondary, like, maybe uh, food truck that's called, like, She's a Kiefer. How? And, and we have, How like, some do you really already good... have these on deck? <gasps> you're on, you're on. <laughs> I'm on a roll. Great. This is great. Yeah. I like it. We could have some good swag, oh, too. Yeah. There's names. a lot of uh, marketing information on, like, how stupid names are like really oh, effic- yeah. effective oh yeah or like especially like things that rhyme or so oh, sure yeah yeah even if Keep i kind of cringe at the idea definitely it would do well she's a kefir yeah. <laughs> i fucking like it <laughs> right next to cushies and cream cushies and cream cushies and cream would like sell like fucking hot cakes yeah in a town like bozeman yeah it's on totally i like it so brought to you by whiskey bench <laughs> yep no alcohol. <laughs> Only no cannabis alcohol. and yeah. raw milk. <laughs> Only no alcohol is involved. Consume at your own risk. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, this is exciting. I've got my, my mind's churning, and I'm just thinking about all sorts of... Now I'm thinking about other regulation and law and things like that that we didn't even get a chance yeah. to, to touch There's base a on. So this is cool. This is getting my juices flowing. A follow-up. A follow-up yeah. would be good. And by juices, I mean cerebral fluid. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. I mean, my raw milk. It's flowing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh boy, we're getting off. We're getting off well, the rails here. <laughs> I think. I think this has been amazing, Alex. Thank you so much hey, for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it was a joy to have you, Alex. I am pumped. I'm sure that you will be back on Hell at yeah. some point. Um, as Highline grows together, I'd love to be given. The privilege to join in two at oh, some yeah. point season three um, we're gonna start having so. guests just so you know but Heck season yeah, two we're exciting. like all right everyone needs to get to know us first no that, that's great totally that's great. fair so yeah everyone go check out into yeah definitely we Good talk stuff. about consent they just have the god committee and what i'm currently editing is all of our poop stories which oh, oh man that's so fun. it's it, like you might <laughs> that think that we're always philosophical or like talking about heavy stuff and we're like should we give the audience the gift of the most hilarious poop stories that we have from all of our friends and family and it is top tier listen to that if you're having a bad day <laughs> i'm excited when does it release uh, in four in two four weeks in four, four weeks. weeks okay we'll Beautiful. we'll make a note and bring that oh, back yeah. up i like it for sure well thank you this was a blast honestly yeah this was fun and uh cheers 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 thank you for joining us on the whiskey bench 
If you would do us a favor, please tell a friend about the show in person, with a text, or by sharing about it on social media. You can join us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest, all at Whiskey Bench Pod. And don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Remember, always drink responsibly. And cheers to a fulfilled life with all its beauty. Welcome to the Into Podcast, where we seek to insight, insight, pursuing truth for the sake of wonder. Meet my parents. That's, That's us. us. I'm Pops. I'm the cotton candy queen. My wife, Katie. Hello. My best friend, Kevin. Am I the best friend or the wife? And me, Alex. Hey. Join us to have an honest and encouraging conversation about whatever it is that we're into. Highline Media Network. Normal people in normal places.